Hi, on this episode of the Bespoke Parenting Podcast, I'm Heather Hunter, a visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum, sitting in for the great Julie Gunlock. Uh, the, par- the Bespoke Parenting Podcast is about and for parents who are tired of being told what to do. There's no one way to parent, and there are many ways, as there are kids. Parenting styles, strategies, and philosophies should be bespoke, tailor-made for you, your family, and most importantly, your kids. So I have the perfect guest about parenting freedom and the parent movement today. Um, our guest is Jenny Gentles. She is the director of IWF's Education Freedom Center. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Heather. Glad to be talking to you today. Well, thank you. So she's um, she is a contributor at Independent Women's Forum, a women's network, and a longtime school choice advocate. And I'm so excited to talk to you because I've talked to you before. You've, we've done interviews before, um, but I want to get into you, your bio, what you've done. Um, Jenny has had an impressive, um, she's done impressive work at the state level, national level, even international level, which we'll get to as well. Um, so everyone has a reason for their passions. And um, what about education freedom and education reform made you go, gosh, this is what I need to do for my career? I actually got brought into the education freedom movement um, at an early age, long, long ago, um, back as a college student. uh, I I ended up realizing that um, I was fortunate and that my parents chose a house in a school district that um, had, quote unquote, good schools. And I benefited from that public education system all the way through K through 12. Um, But you start volunteering in high school and college and you realize not everybody gets to go to good schools. They don't live in neighborhoods um, where where those schools are are really dedicated to, to serving kids. Um, and that th- the injustice of it really bothered me. And so I started looking into what could be done. And this was, again, a long time ago. Uh, and there were leaders out there like Jeannie Allen in the Center for Education Reform and, and other people who were really launching a school choice movement. And I realized I wanted to be part of that. So I started looking into it and just figured out a way throughout the early stages of my career to be involved in education reform, yes, but specifically in, in school choice what we now refer to as education freedom that empowers families to not be stuck in the school district um, in that school that their child is assigned to just because of residency, but have the freedom to choose the best school um, that meets their child's needs. I know I've personally, um, as a, as a new mom, I've been considering all the education options and now I'm homeschooling as we've talked about before. But um, I think as you were talking about with the, your parents choosing the right school and trying to find the right place to actually raise your kids, I think remote working and even the pandemic has had a huge, um, there's been a huge shift in people moving and changing where they're going um, because they are thinking about that. They want to get out of some of the bigger urban areas um, because of the crime, but also the schools are getting more woke. And I mean, are you, did you see um, as somebody who's been following this for so long, do you feel like there was a huge shift in the education um, dynamic of parents really being very proactive in taking on their kids' fate in in a school after the pandemic? Absolutely. I feel like I've kind of been standing off to the side from a lot of parents for decades, really, with my school choice advocacy. And then when the pandemic hit, 
we suddenly were all in it together. And parents who previously just thought school choice, I don't know what that is, or I'm just reflexively opposed to that. They thought, oh, it makes sense now. I, I get it. What, what's coming through my child's laptop? What's what I'm seeing as I, as I look over their shoulder into Zoom school? I don't like it. And I'm recognizing that these schools are staying closed. Um, they're not prioritizing academic instruction. They um, are refusing to meet the needs of special needs kids. They were particularly mistreated throughout the, the pandemic. That's wrong. Um, and uh, they're continuing to, um, to ignore the pleas of parents. Please open back up. Please get masks off kids so that they can uh, learn how to to form sounds and words and, and read. Um, please stop with the indoctrination and prioritize academics instead. And parents realize they're not listening to me <laughs> as I'm asking for that. And what I need instead is a different school altogether. So I'll move. Um, you had referenced that some people just actually picked up and moved to a different area or state. Um, and then others said, well, I don't want to move. I want, I want the freedom to go choose the, the private school down the road that's been open, that reflects my values, that prioritizes academic instruction. Now I'm on board for school choice. Now I'm on board for education freedom. And, um, I love hearing from those parents. Welcome. Let's work together. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the parents who still keep fighting the fight in the education system as far as the public education system. Mm -hmm. I mean, I chose the homeschool route and a lot of parents chose the private school route, but I, I admire the tenacity of the parents who keep fighting for the public schools to be a proper education and teach their kids the right way. Um, do you think, I mean, we, we have this education um, freedom um, that we have in, in wanting to give people all these options. Do you think there is a way to change the public school system that so that it can get to some sort of state of normal? Or do parents just need to kind of find what works for them and <laughs> go with that? Look, I totally understand wanting the option, wanting the freedom to send your child to a high quality local public school. Um, our neighborhood elementary school is a five minute walk. Our neighborhood middle school is, I don't know, maybe a seven minute walk. Life would be easy logistically if everyone could just send their, their child to the, the neighborhood school. Um, and there's something kind of warm and cozy about that idea of going to school um, with the same families in your community. It's what a lot of us grew up with and loved. Um, but the public schools that we grew up with aren't here anymore. They're not, uh, they're not available for kids in most areas. They've been captured by activists. They're prioritizing the wrong things. So I, to admire parents who are really fighting hard to change that, that needs to continue. Um, and I, I, I wish them well. I'm very confident, having been in this education space for a long, long time, that it's not going to happen unless school choice is expanded, unless those school districts realize, hey, if you don't listen to those parents who are at those school board meetings um, month after month and who are writing and pleading for changes, who are researching alternative reading instruction options, who are making suggestions on, um, hey, don't shorten the school year. Actually, maybe lengthening the school year would be better. Hey, stop having uh, all of these uh, days off during the school year. Actually, educate kids. These parents have great ideas that these school districts are not going to listen to unless there's a consequence. And so that's where school choice comes in and can benefit 
public school parents, public school kids, the school district can realize if there are robust education options, uh, education freedom options out there, that if they don't listen to those parents and their suggestions and their requests, the parents are going to leave. They're going to take their funds with them. Enrollment's going to drop. Funding's going to drop. And all those central bureaucrats who've been hired in recent decades and are doing nothing for kids, they're going to, they're going to lose their cozy jobs. They're going to be fired. So I do want people to realize that school choice education freedom empowers the individual family to go make a, a choice. It also empowers the public school parents um, so that they can be listened to. Uh, everybody wins. Except for the yeah. except for the the unions and the and the bureaucrats, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a mom, so how many girls do you, you have? Uh, how many children do you have, Jenny? I have two daughters, ages eleven two and daughters. fourteen. So we've just started middle school, sixth grade, and just started high school, ninth grade. How was after working in this space for so long, and then having children? How did that kind of change your view of the education system? I remember before I had my first child, uh, someone asked, well, you work in school choice. What, what option will you choose for your child? And I was like, um, I haven't met them yet. <laughs> I haven't met my kids yet. And a lot about school choice is about getting to know your child and their needs. Um, so I had no idea before my child was born. And in fact, um, my children started out in public, well, my oldest daughter started out in public education in Canada. We were where we lived at the time. Um, and we even tried French immersion, which was a public school choice in Toronto. Uh, we moved here and did a faith-based private school for a little while. Um, some Things happened with our family. Some things changed. So we switched to the public schools. The pandemic happened. We were done <laughs> with the public schools and we're happily back at faith-based private schools now. So, um, uh, yeah, we've been a, a, a bit of a school choice family, not you've had a, necessarily. You've had a journey. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't not my intention. Um, I'm, um, but that is what, what's happened. And I, I have to say our experience in, in faith-based private schools, um, particularly right now is just so, so positive. I wish yeah, everybody well, had, mentioned- had the options that we have right now. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you were in Canada for a little while. Um, it's pretty impressive to me that you went to another country. There's such a, to me, such a learning curve to go to another country and to be, involved in a movement and in, in the education reform movement, you were active in that in Canada. I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, when I look at Canada, I think I see Trudeau and I'm like, how does anything get done there? That's rational. <laughs> so how did, what, how, talk about what, what it was like in Canada working in education reform? Well, let's just say that uh, Canada's changed a lot, just like America's changed a lot in, in recent years. Let's, let's not blame Canada for, for Trudeau necessarily. Um, but so this was a, I lived in Canada twice, actually once before kids, um, when I was still working and I left a career on Capitol Hill, sadly, I loved working on Capitol Hill, um, but wanted to continue working in government and work for the Ministry of Education, the Education Finance Branch for a couple of years under, um, a conservative government and the way government works up there. If the, you know, whatever party is in, in charge, then the, the ministries are supposed to implement their their agenda. Um, and they actually did have a little bit of a school choice agenda towards the end of the time that I was there. They had passed a, a tax credit that was quickly repealed when the liberal government came in after that. But 
that was a great learning experience, not at all a good fit for me because um, education bureaucracies are not happy places. And so I reached out to the Fraser Institute, which is the free market or at the time, the free market um, think tank in in Canada. And um, it turns out that they were launching a school choice program. And so I got to be the program director of a privately funded school choice program and um, start it from the from the ground up, which was a wonderful entrepreneurial experience and a, a great opportunity to work directly with families in Ontario and empowering them with scholarships to go choose the, the best options for their children. Um, so really, I mean, it Canada is just across the border. Um, and, um, and, you know, I didn't live in Quebec every, uh, where I lived. Everyone was English speaking. So it was pretty straightforward to, to navigate. And when you're part of the free market world, you really are part of kind of an international community. Um, people have very much, uh, the ground, they're very much grounded in, um, in similar values. Um, so that was a, a great opportunity to, to find that community, um, north of the border. Well, I'm sure a lot of the work that you did in laying the ground in education reform is still is still having an impact now. So thank you for the work you're doing up there. We we need as as much help in in making sure that people have a choice and freedom up there. So um and you're also uh you lived in Florida. You're a Florida girl. So I'm a Florida girl and um you worked in the Department of Education in Florida under uh Governor Bush. Um and then now you're seeing what's happening in, in uh, with DeSantis um, and a lot of education freedom. Um, how would you contrast some of the uh, uh, leadership styles or at least, you know, did you kind of see um, a, a school choice and education freedom movement starting under Bush or was it kind of oh, always yeah. there or, or has it just exponentially grown under DeSantis? Like, how do you kind of view what's going on there? Yeah, so school choice at the state level has to happen with strong leadership and, and that's what was absolutely in place when Jeb Bush was, was governor. He, um, had founded a charter school in, um, in South Florida. He had traveled around the state talking to parents. He personally knew from listening to parents and their stories and from, um, all these conversations, the importance of school choice. And he came in um, with a mission to number one, increase the accountability of, of public schools. And that's where he put, um, a, a grading system in place so that the public schools themselves were graded A, B, C based on a number of measures. Um, and then part of his vision was implementing school choice, um, in a very specific ways, initially through an opportunity scholarship program. Um, that was targeted for students that were relegated to failing schools. So if, a, if these students were assigned to a school that had received two F grades, they received scholarships to escape, which was a wonderful wow. thing and a great way to marry his two, um, two visions, uh, accountability for the traditional public schools and freedom, school choice um, for families who were not being served well by those public schools. Um, he went on to uh, oversee the, the creation and expansion of uh, a special needs scholarship program at the time called the McKay Scholarship Program for Students with Disabilities and a program for um, <clears throat> low-income kids, a tax credit funded program for low-income kids that um, grew quickly and spread throughout the, the, the state and has morphed into, um, to a, uh, 
what was probably the biggest uh, school choice program um, in the country until Arizona has now overtaken that um, with the uh, empowerment scholarship program, ESA program that Arizona now has, which is universal and has the possible, has the potential for being the biggest um, school choice program in the, in the country. So Governor Bush's leadership was tremendous in this issue. Enough years has, have passed that people might have forgotten what a strong leader he was at the, at the state level. Um, and thank goodness Florida has a, a strong leader again with Governor DeSantis, who has a very strong commitment to education freedom, to empowering parents, and to ensuring that um, students are served well by the the schools and the education options that their parents find for them. Um, so there's a great opportunity under DeSantis's leadership, as well as the commitment and leadership of the Florida legislature to continue expanding school choice in Florida. I, I loved, I was there, I guess at this point over 15 years ago, I loved leading the Florida School Choice Office. It was a really exciting time. We knew that we were creating a model um, for the country. And I'm I'm so proud of what Florida's what, what Florida's done and excited about the potential for the future there. Well you're a pioneer, Jenny. So um the uh, I, I, I help. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, take some credit. <laughs> it's okay. So, but, um, yeah, the, the, but you've seen, so you've seen all these movements happen. I mean, what you did in Florida with the governor, incredible. Um, what you've done in Canada, incredible. I mean, even on the state level, I mean, I know you and I, uh, chat about what's even going on in Northern Virginia. Um, and a lot of people think that even the Northern Virginia Loudoun and Fairfax, uh, movement, um, happened in 2020 or even during the pandemic. But I remember as, as somebody working in the media, um, I was following what was going on in Fairfax in 2014 with Elizabeth Schultz and how she was just like this solo, uh, you know, one, one person on a school board trying to, you know, fight the fight over so many issues about fiscal responsibility. And they were using, um, the, uh, the school board as a, a way to start a lot of social change in Fairfax. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you feel like, um, did the pandemic suddenly shine a spotlight on movements that were already kind of bubbling up or is it, uh, or is it just parents kind of having realized maybe I need to seize this moment and, you know, taking and taking on the school board, who's not doing what they should be doing and, and actually listening to me, they're civil servants. They should be listening to parents who are concerned. Well, Heather, you probably have a much stronger history and much more information on the um, parents' rights, um, parental rights movement in in Northern Virginia. Because back when Elizabeth Schultz was on the Fairfax County School Board, um, I was a stay-at-home mom with kind of youngish kids um, and then transitioning back to to working. And I honestly, I was not paying attention to what was going on in Fairfax County. And um, in the years that, that you mentioned, um, my kids were, were safely uh, attending a, a faith-based private school. Any of that stuff that was happening out in the school districts, uh, that, that didn't have to do with us, mm-hmm. was my thinking at the time. <laughs> but yeah. I heard Elizabeth Schultz say recently that she's realized her role sometimes is to be the tip of the spear. She she recognizes when something's amiss. And I think we've seen a number of other parents emerging um, in, in recent years who are those same sort of parents who are like, no something's up and I'm going to call it and I'm going to fight it. (laughs) 
Um, and, and, and then the rest of us have to wake up to, to what it is that they're talking about. And sometimes these things are just so strange that it takes us a little while to wake up. And sometimes these things are just so awful that once we wake up, we have to fight too. And so mm-hmm. specifically the gender ideology, which again, Elizabeth saw it coming in Fairfax County. There's another mother, Maria Keffler in Arlington County, where I live, saw it coming, saw the activists putting these policies in place that keep secrets from parents, that actively push children down this road of social and then medical transition um, even before um, society, uh, parents, kids themselves realize the harms of of what's going to happen if that if if that continues. So um, Maria and Arlington, Elizabeth and Fairfax, they recognized what was going on with gender ideology. A lot of the rest of us, again, looked over the shoulders during Zoom school, started seeing a lot more materials coming home. From schools, um, when schools back, open back up, suddenly saw the flags and the signs and the advocacy happening in schools at the expense of academics, and we're all saying no more. This 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 has to has to stop. Um, so I, I'd say um, there are others who very much have been tips of the spear and leaders, but I'm I'm with them now, and I think a lot of parents are as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way and that they were um, starting to hear it, but they weren't quite aware of what mm-hmm. was really being activated in, in, in the school districts. And, um, and, and really it's, it, working in the media, it, as somebody who has worked on the TV level and radio and even print, um, there is sort of a bias in what people will pick. And I will see what even local news coverage um, is on these issues. And it's so rare to even see a reporter sometimes before all this, all this movement started to really get a lot of attention. Um, it was rare to see anyone really cover it. Maybe there was one print journalist covering some of this stuff. Um, maybe there was a local news reporter there. Um, but you know, if there's no coverage of it, it's almost like it didn't happen. And, um, and so I, I, I think, God bless a lot of parents who started to become kind of citizen journalists and doing mm-hmm. social media. Um, and some of them would actually grab, um, you know, clips from the school board meetings. They'd roll on them and then they'd post clips of it on social media. And I mean, there's times where parents would tell me like, you know, so-and-so said this in a school board meeting. And I'm like, is there video somewhere of it? Cause I mean, working as a journalist, you're like, okay, I need to make sure it actually happened. And if there's no, you know, documentation of it. I don't know, you know, I'm just hearing hearsay. And so I love how uh, parents have kind of taken off with uh, really being proactive and getting that information out there and grabbing clips and grabbing, you know, and, and even transcribing what people are saying. And I mean, do you think social media has had a really strong impact in helping build this movement as well? It- it, it did for sure. Not just with a gender ideology, but going back to school closures and then masks. And then CRT and then gender ideology. But um, the social media was a way for parents to signal to each other, hey, you're not alone. I also think that schools should be open. I also think that schools should prioritize academics over indoctrination. Um, so we were able to find each other. And there are these groups like team reality groups um, where, where parents feel really connected. Um, we were able to uh, in, in, inspire the formation of community groups. So now there's Moms for Liberty chapters all around the country. There's um, 
independent women's network chapters popping up around the country. Um, and then um, it also allows uh, parents who might be fearful of consequences of speaking up to expose, to shine the light on, on what's going on. Um, otherwise that, that, that fear would just take over everyone, right? Because those of us who weren't finding each other and speaking up and forming groups wouldn't have been able to do that. And mm-hmm. the people doing these things and, and, and implementing these policies and saying these crazy things at, at school board meetings, no one would know about it. So that, um, Nikki Neely from Parents Defending Education, I regularly hear her talk about uh, sunlight's the best disinfectant. Um, and so her organization is, is, uh, shining the light on, on this sort of thing. Independent Women's Network shining the line, light on, on these sorts of things. But, to your point, like individual parents are, are flagging things for you, right? And individual parents are flagging things for me. That happened just this week. Um, a parent who absolutely could not speak up for fear of, of losing his job was able to flag a number of different, just nutty, um, school board speeches in Arlington County, including one from the school psychologist that was working with the state delegate to, to get a law through Virginia. Um, the, the Virginia legislature that would make it, um, illegal to not affirm a child's new gender identity. This school psychologist had a, just a, a, an awful speech at this, at the, at the school, school district that now I'm able to share with somebody like Billboard Chris, who has a huge school, uh, uh, following. And then a lot of eyes get on on that speech and more people around the country realize what's going on, what these school employees are doing, the secrets that they're hiding from kids, their plans to push kids down these, down these paths. The, um, that particular school psychologist in her, in her speech used air quotes around parent, so-called parental rights. (laughs) That's what they think of parents and that's what we have to expose. So yeah, absolutely. Social media, the way it helped us find each other, we helped us inspire each other to, to fight, um, the communities that it created and then the protection that it gives to, to people who want to shine the light on what's going on, um, to share it, um, through this pipeline of people who might have bigger platforms. I, I think, um, I think it's a really positive thing. Yeah, I think that the uh, that psychologist you have been all over mm-hmm. that story and and covering that and I you should really follow Jenny's um Twitter account. Um Jenny, your Twitter it's uh is it I'm sorry. What's your Twitter account? It's at G I N N Y Gentles, which is gentle with an F. Okay. So G I N N Y G E N T L E S. I highly recommend following that. I follow it all the time. And, and that's how I actually discovered that development about the psychologist because we were covering, uh, I work on a morning drive radio show and we were covering the story about how a local congresswoman in Virginia, Abigail Spanberger was, um, hiding from doing a debate, uh, with her Republican opponent, Yesley Vega. And she, um, refused to, uh, do the debate after she found out the host I worked for, uh, was going to be co-moderating it. And then it came out more and more that we discovered that um, she also was, um, she was hiding because she didn't want to answer questions about one of her top surrogates, who was a Democratic lawmaker, um, who was in support of, uh, who was pushing this, um, this legislation uh, that would punish parents for um, 
for not affirming their child. Mm -hmm. And now there's even, you know, the Washington Post and other places are, have tried to wrote a column about this, Heather. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've gotten a lot of attention on this issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, and then you've highlighted, I mean, you've done amazing work in, in bringing a lot of light on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially that psychologist, because she, that audio from a podcast she did, she talked about how this was about punishing parents and, and the, um, um, if they don't affirm their child's gender. And, um, and <laughs> I mean, even, even Guzman, uh, is, is on tape from, uh, ABC seven, um, saying, that there'd be punishments and they keep trying to change the language and how this is. But I mean, the radicalism of, of that psychologist, you really brought that forward and explained that to a lot of people. Um, and, and what is going on in these schools? And this is, you know, an Arlington school psychologist and they keep talking about, let's put more and more money into mental health, which I think is important. Um, but you know, it does concern me, though, that these kind of people work in the mental health profession. Mm-hmm. So where are you sending your kids to? Are you getting psychologists like this in the schools? I mean, yeah. my child, my child's dealing with some issues from, you know, the, the pandemic. So let me see if we could help some maybe some depression issues. And then she go, if she went to this <laughs> psychologist, I mean, what what would happen? You know, she's got, you know, one on one time with your child. And it's scary, you know, to, to think that those kind of people um, would actually have access to your children. And you're just trying to do a good thing for your child. Yeah, Heather, I think that you bring up a really important issue and it's something that all of us should be paying attention going forward. Congress passed a, a bill recently that, um, and then appropriated, I think close to a billion in in funding for mental health in schools. So there is, they're, they're gonna be um, funding quickly, like trying to quickly hire and fund all of these new uh, mental health programs and mental health staff. And the philosophy, the way that these individuals are trained is very anti-parent, is is very much about this culture of keeping secrets. It's very much steeped in radical ideology. I wish that wasn't true. These kids absolutely deserve True mental health support. We've hurt them so much by policies uh, in in recent years, and we've hurt them by giving them um, access to a really lousy education, even before the pandemic. They absolutely deserve wonderful mental health care, and that's not what's going to happen. Um, And it's going to be... um, it's 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 going to be a, a real problem if parents aren't paying really close attention to what's going on with the school counselors and the school psychologists in the, in their public school districts. Yeah, you got to do even more research on even who's mm-hmm. who's talking to your child. And it's uh, it's a lot of work for parents to have to constantly do research on who's my teacher, what's the curriculum, and I mean, obviously, we should be proactive, but you know, there should be a certain level where you have a comfort <laughs> that you can trust the people that your children are spending time with each day too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, thank thank goodness for what you do in pushing economic freedom and and shining the spotlight on what's going out there, what's going on in the education system. Um, I hope more people um, check out Jenny's work at IWN and also even at IWF as well. Thank you, Jenny Gentles, for joining us. Um, Please go and support Education uh, Freedom Center and 
check out their work and, and, uh, you'll, you'll be glad you did because it's, um, it's great work that they're doing there and, and, and God bless for what you're doing. And, and thank you for listening to this podcast on Bespoke Parenting Podcast.